iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and The Sunday Times. Now with Goals. It's 2015. It's a new year, new beginnings. I'm excited. I'm sure my guests are too. We've got James Scowcroft, Stuart Robson, and down the line from beautiful downtown Mortlake, it's Matt Dickinson. It's an FA Cup weekend. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking Pulis, Pardew, Gerrard, Lampard. But um, of course, we have to start with the magic of the cup. Dicko, I'm going to start with you because you're the most magical uh, out of all of us here. I don't want to be one of those cynics about the third round and we're all going over old ground, but there's one thing I really did not understand about this weekend, and I appreciate when you've got you know Dover playing Crystal Palace. It can actually be a fantastic game because uh, Dover take the lead and gamely hang on against Palace's subs or whatnot, or it can be a game like we saw where Palace's scrubs go and you know take an early lead and then it finishes 4-0. Why were these games on television on, on Saturday? Like, why do they insist on, on this weird scheduling? TV's, TV has their formula for, for what works, isn't it? And I can only imagine that, I mean, that it's like every time they go for all Premier League matches for these on, on third and fourth round weekends and everyone you know, throws up their arms in, in horror. But they go for, for the bankers, they go for what, what the market no. suggests is the more popular games, and um, I, I, I understand that. How much that irritates us. That's that's the rules, the measuring stick by which they go upon, and I don't like it a lot of the time, any more than you. I mean, just on the just on the cup. The more it's funny. I was sort of thinking about it um, this morning. It, you know, it, this weekend, the start of January, is traditional for the third round, and it's sort of people sort of hate tinkering with traditions and generally regard tinkering traditions as sort of diluting and messing around with the, the magic of the cup. But coming off the busy Christmas program, I did sort of suddenly wonder whether actually moving this weekend away from that busy program would help. Because obviously the, the, these poor guys played on January 1st, and then a lot of them play again on January 3rd. It's not a surprise then that if you're a manager, you're going to, to, to rest players or, or, or somehow be affected by it. I don't think there's anybody out there, Stuart, who rested guys for the New Year's, New Year's Day game so they'd be fresh. Well, that's what that, I would round. question that because if you're playing a cup game, you've got one chance. If you lose that game, you're out the cup. If you rest your players at the right time through the Christmas period, you don't have to rest them all in one game. You could rest one for the, for the first one and a couple for the next. You could manage your squad much better than they do. So they play some almost full sides for the, for the three games over Christmas. And then they say, right, we're going to rest everybody for the Christmas period. And if you rest players and you lose the game and you're a team like, uh, I don't know, a, a, a QPR, and you go, they played quite a strong side, but they lose at home to Sheffield United. Straight away, your manager is under pressure. The fans are oh, against come you. Come on, seriously. Yeah. Hey, do, do you think there's anybody? You really believe? I believe straight, that, straight yeah. away. Harry Redknapp's under pressure. If you lose a game against lower division opposition, you're under pressure. I don't think anybody puts you, puts you cares. under pressure for the next game, doesn't it? it, does, it, yeah. it Stuart Pearce. Stuart Pearce can lose lots of games yeah. in the in the championship at the moment. He loses the cup game against Rochdale. Suddenly, you read in the paper, his job's under under threat. I now. think it's. I think the Cuban. I, mean, I spent 
probably more of, of, of my time than is healthy watching um, QPR for complicated family reasons. But basically, I'd, I'd, I'd take your point that it, it, it's, it's not at all good for mood, atmosphere, momentum. It doesn't say a lot for the sort of beat, sort of half first team, half reserve team he picked. But ultimately, you know, it is all about survival. And this is obviously, you know, another part of the, has the FA Cup lost its magic debate? The fact is that that will be completely forgotten if QPR stay up. It will be evidence against him if they start to, you know, sink down into the relegation zone. But it is dwarfed um, completely the, the, the cup run by whether they um, whether they show good form in the league or not. But do you, do you honestly think, Gab, if it was put back a week, so it's next weekend, that managers would, would play the stronger sides? I, I, I'm in two minds about it. I mean, I, I personally think, as a viewer, playing two football matches in three days is just is just idiotic. You don't get. I mean, the the, the, the footballers aren't machines. I, we can say, oh look, you know, they're out there on the pitch and, and it's them, but it's not them. These are professional athletes. They've got a rhythm, uh, and, and and whatever else. And to some degree, the FA Cup suffered because of it. I know Watford. They went. They obviously they played Chelsea under strength. Chelsea side. I think he made. Uh, mm. You know, arguably he only had three starters in there. Mourinho. Uh, Watford, I think they they changed four or five guys. There's there's the issue of fan fatigue. I mean, uh, actually some of the Attendance is pretty healthy yesterday. I mean, I, 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 I should know the answer to this, but the, the disparity between some clubs that maybe allow FA Cup um, as part of season tickets and, and those that, that, that don't. But I think there is an issue, a slight issue of, of fan fatigue. There, there will obviously be some clubs where gates do shrink because people just think, well, you know, does the cup matter as much? Or I've been to a lot of games over Christmas, or you know, I just don't have don't have the money. I mean, personally, I think uh, yeah, there's a few tweaks I would make to the FA Cup. I would scrap replays, try and move this weekend away from that busy Christmas period. Say, but uh, you know, you start messing around with the cup, and people throw their arms up. But I think getting rid of replays, simplifying the competition, wouldn't do it any long-term damage. I had a suggestion from um, um, from a reader last year about sort of combining the cup and the and the winter break. Um, and I might explore that, but basically the, the, the concept would have been to play the entire FA Cup up to the semi-final stage, uh, up to a not including semi-final stage, in January. So in other words, you would, I mean, the, the, there's four rounds, right? So you would, you would basically play, you know, weekend, midweek if, if you need a replay. Or we could sca- scrap replays and follow the Dicko plan. Um, and so that way, effectively, you know, half the teams that are still in it would basically be getting a winter break and if you keep going the idea is mediatically the whole nation would focus on the FA Cup it would be exciting there'd be nothing else to talk about there'd be nothing else on TV and you know you wouldn't have these ties it's, it's certainly it's in. certainly a, a thought because if you had a winter break you do what uh, Real Madrid and uh, AC Milan do go to Dubai and play a, 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 an exhibition match and that's what every English side will do if they have a winter break they'd go and they won't have a break they go and play games for but money this somewhere way, else this way ah, that's why I'm agreeing with you exactly. I'm agreeing with you <laughs> well also the winter break argument, I mean I find I find it um colossally overstated as one of the sort of you know ills of English football that's stopping us win the World Cup I mean if you know that there are 173 reasons why England are not competing for World Cups, and mm. I put I put the winter break sort of in, in the bottom 170 half. 172nd, se- I would say. I think a lot of managers use it as an excuse by playing yeah. a weakened side when they lose the game. Well, you know, we have to rest players. Right. Well, let's focus on what actually did happen, with the exception of those teams that we'll be covering in quick hits, of course. Um, I watched two games uh, yesterday. I, I did one of them. 
Yeovil versus Manchester United and the game that you talked about, Dover versus Crystal Palace. And how at a lower level, if you can still get your organisation right, there was a difference between one good coach in Gary Johnson who made it very difficult for Manchester United because the way he set up and we, we, the way they pressed the ball, the way they played against the back three, he did a really good job. He knew exactly what he was doing. And remember, his team are, are bottom of Division 1 at the moment. And then you saw Chris Kinnear for Dover had no tactical understanding of how to make it difficult this for Crystal Palace. This is Joe Kinnear's love child, right? <laughs> no, it isn't. Uh, no relation whatsoever. I don't think there's any relation, no. And, and they were totally outplayed and Crystal Palace movement and passing just made it almost impossible for Dover. But that was down to the coaching and the, and the tactical understanding of Chris Kinnear. Totally agree. Well, I was at a game at the weekend that probably nobody has mentioned whatsoever and it's one of the best games I've seen this season. That was Millwall-Bradford. Really, really good game. 3-3. Bradford were went a goal up, Millwall 2-1 up, Bradford then 3-2 up, 3-3. There was only 5,000 fans there, so it wasn't... Uh, but it still had a good atmosphere. There's 1,000 Bradford fans there, but it was a really good cup tie-in. 5,000 fans at Millwall? At Millwall, yeah. What are the usual gates, aren't they? Uh, probably about 10, 11. Well, I think that's the... Uh, perhaps the, that, that's the football fatigue that Dicko was talking about. Uh, Dicko, do you want to talk about Villa, or does really nobody care about poor Paul Lambert? Yeah, no, we're not caring about that one. No, I mean, what stood out for me, I, I was in the car driving along and there's the Blythe Spartans game was on and, yeah, we, we, we all sat there gripped. I mean, it does, you know, we say we, we mock the magic or we sort of talk about the dilution of the competition, but it still, say, had us gripped for a couple of hours in the car wondering if, if Blythe could pull it off. I, I watched the, most of the Yeovil Manu game and there was that moment for more, wasn't there, where he, he, he sort of um, scuffed, mm. scuffed that shot and, you know, you're um, shrieking on your sofa, so it's you know it 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 can still throw up those moments that have have you gripped, um, have millions but, of people gripped. And also, but you can go if you're playing for a top team, you actually go into some of these games with fear. I can recall from losing to York City for Arsenal, uh, drawing with Hereford away, having uh, we lost to uh, to uh, Walsall at home, and for the next five or six weeks, you were under massive pressure. There was a lot of news actually that happened uh, in, in the last week since Max Rushton uh, usurped my show. And this is in no particular order, but one of the revelations we've had is that Stephen Gerrard is leaving us. There, there's a great piece I thought by our boss, Tony Evans, where he made the point that, uh, you know, in the age old debate about where does Gerrard rank in the sort of the galaxy of, uh, of Liverpool stars. And he makes the point that basically, you know, if you're talking about sustained excellence, it, it's obviously Dalglish. But if. It was one player, one shot to save your life. You would pick Gerard. People my age grew up with the legend of Ian Rush as a finisher, but mm -hmm. uh, and obviously you also had that that little chap they called God as well, who was pretty good. Uh, Stuart, are you? I mean, Stephen Gerrard is has been an outstanding player uh, for England and for one Liverpool. shot to take to save Stuart Robson's life. Who do you give it to? Uh, I would certainly give it to Ian Rush. I played against Ian Rush, and he was magnificent as a centre forward. James, you want to play this game? Yeah, you, you've got to go with Stephen Gerrard for me. I think if you look Which at him... you're wrong, Stuart. Yeah, obviously. If you look at him, I'm not quite sure what he can't do, Stephen Gerrard. What, does he have a weakness? He's got a weakness now, because he's, he's not as athletic as he yeah. once was. So if he's playing as a holding midfield player, I don't but, think he But in his very, very prime, you know, I, I personally think he's as good as, as what we've seen. I won't be drawn. I know you're a United fan, so I'm not going to draw you into the Gerrard. You can't, you can't do it. It's a lose-lose <clears> proposition. No, no, no. Listen, a lot of you know Everton, Chelsea, Manchester United fans will give Steven Gerrard a, a lot of stick and sing unsavoury songs about him. But the reason they do that is because he's a good player. If he wasn't a good player, he wouldn't get the stick he gets. Yeah, you don't 
bother abusing a rubbish. Dicko, what's what's your take? You can't dispute that he's been a great player, and as I say, there's been a lot of sort of, there's a lot of sadness comes out from fans of other clubs about, and, and a lot of nonsense, you know, about oh well, has he won this or has he won that? Well, the fact is, you know, you only have to just imagine had he taken that offer to go to Chelsea in 2004, then just imagine the the medals he would have won over the next few years. I mean, um, Chelsea would have won everything they did and potentially more with him in in the team. So that's that that you know, that that issue is a complete sort of red herring. I mean, I think, you know, he could do everything. I mean, I think there are reasonable debates to be had about, I think, this issue of tactical intelligence, I guess. I'm not saying he's not an intelligent player, but I think, you know, did he rampage around because that was necessary because of the weakness, because he was trying to cover up the weaknesses of, of the rest of that Liverpool team? Or, you know, I mean, he's seen as a sort of embodying that sort of classic English Roy of the Rovers style and, and sometimes actually that Royal Rovers style we wonder whether that's part of our problem chasing around the game and that's why another reason actually why I think it would have been fascinating to see him under a Mourinho type manager who's required absolute sort of tactical discipline to see whether he would have maybe moulded him into a slightly slightly different player and what that type of player would have well, been but, but I mean the fact is that his Roy the Rover style made him compelling um, made him compelling viewing um, and, and was part of his was part of his greatness but to say I think I think there is a fascinating debate to be had around that as, as to whether sort of embodying the English strength is also a, you know, occasionally part of our weakness. He did spend a lot of time working under, under Rafa Benitez, who certainly is much more, uh, you know, much more sort of a, of a strict tactician, if you will. Then, he took him on the right wing for a lot of the time. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he, well, he, he was um, sometimes the Rafa Benitez wanted him to be more disciplined. He said that he wasn't disciplined enough, and that's which why he played him in why, certain yeah, areas. Exactly, but it gave him that role out there. So mm. it, which, which, I think actually fuels the, it's a good point, and it fuels the debate. Is that, is and was, that, it, was that Stephen you? Gerrard having a slight dig at Benitez when he said, had he come across uh, Brendan Rodgers much earlier, he'd have won more titles and more uh, honours at No, he uh, wasn't. Liverpool. I, 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 I think Camp professed to know for sure. But I don't think so. And I was struck. I was struck by one thing. There's a term in Italian, aziendalista, which sort of means company man, but in a good way, somebody who stays loyal. I, when, when I saw that, that Jared interview, when he talked about, he had that conversation with Brendan, when Brendan said, you know, it's time to manage your games. And, you know, it was a painful conversation. And, but he's right. I had to. And then he talked about his only regret was not meeting Rogers earlier. First of all, it was very big of, of Jared to to feel that way because frankly if Jared wanted to stick around if Jared wanted to go to war with Brendan Rodgers I, I would assume Brendan would get the short end of the stick here because his shtick is wearing a little bit thin right they're, they're eighth mm. on the table they spent all this money you know his seventh in his first season uh, and this is Stephen Jared we're talking about and it wouldn't be the first time a star player mm. you know I'm sure you guys all saw that you know powers fading kind of you know flex his muscle with the manager uh, and I think it's a credit to Jared that, that he didn't do that, that, that he, he stayed very loyal um, that way. But I'm interested in, in this notion of when do you know um, that, that it's time to go or, or it's time to, to move on from the level, from a club of the level that, that you've been playing at? Because I, I look at Jared, I look at his ability, his finishing, his passing, and I think actually he could easily play for another top Premier League club probably in a different position than in front of the back four with, uh, with, with Lucas and Joe Allen next to him. I think, I think the, the time to, to know when it's, uh, when it's the right time to pack in is when you get frustrated because you can't do the things you want to do. 
you know, and I don't think he can now do the things he wants to do. When he's now being scrutinised, when he tries to cover in, in full-back areas, when he was playing as the holding midfield pl- uh, role, and against West Ham he kept on getting beaten time after time, against Crystal Palace when people kept on running off the back of him, you start to understand that, actually, I can't do the things I, I, I want to do, and I'm being embarrassed in certain areas. I, can only, I only now want to do the things that I'm good at, and you can't have that in a Premier League team. Yeah, but he didn't do that earlier in his career. I mean, this is a kind of a new position that... That he was put in, but he could have, but he could have done that earlier because he had the athleticism. Now he he wants to play as the holding midfield player so he can ping those long passes, but he can't do the defensive side of the job. And when he plays further up the field, he hasn't got the dynamism anymore to go past people to get shots away and be the outstanding player. I'm with Stuart on this. It's it's, it's sort of actually been a little bit sad, and I mean, yeah. not, you know, it, it happens to ev- everyone. But I was at that Palace game. Was it uh, the, the Basel game where he scored the late free kick? And that, but that put a complete gloss on actually what had been a. A, 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 a pretty, I mean, well, it'd been a limp team performance, but Stephen Gerrard had not looked good at all in in that game um, until, until that free kick. I think. You know, Forgive me, Dicko. Was that the game where he he played him basically as a as, as a second striker? Or was that the Lucas? It was. Yeah, yeah, he played him because he played the three. He played Lucas and uh, Joe Allen, didn't he? Which, yeah. um, well, that's a, that's a whole different debate. But uh, no, it was it was not. And what, it, was, what, what it's saying, Matt? Then, but, I, you know, he was, so in both roles, he wasn't looking too happy. And I, I just think, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's inevitable among certain players at a certain age that their, their powers wane. And yeah. I guess the debate is whether there was any sort of role that could have been left for him as a fading player. And actually, I think this is probably a rare occasion where both both parties are probably sort of can look each other in the eye and shake, you know, shake each other by the hand and say they're sort of, it, 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 it maybe suits us both. Do you honestly think Liverpool are doing the right thing by letting him go? Absolutely. You know, an iconic, you know, like, like United have done with Giggs, you know, they've kept in and kept in and kept and groomed him and you know, maybe Giggs will be the next uh, manager one day. Just like you say, you know, you'd, you'd rather have Gerrard around the place than, than not. But I, I think, I mean, but I mean, that's the thing. I look at sort of Jamie Carragher at the end, right? And when, when, you know, he was hardly playing, it's coming on and not playing well. And I think, I, I guess, I mean, that's a decision you got. You, I mean, you, you probably had to make at the end of your career well, as well, I, right? You get told your time's up by other people. You know, you, you, you think you're invincible. And, you know, even now I'm, I'm 39, still think I could go out, watch games. Well, I could do that. But realistically, you can't. And other people tell you you can't by not playing you, by dropping you, by, you know, maybe saying, well, we'll talk about your contract at the end of the season, etc., etc. really. I, I mean, think it's exactly the right time for both parties. I think Brendan Rodgers will be really pleased that Gerrard's leaving. Not because he's a bad character or he's, uh, he's a bad player or anything like that, because he's a gr- been a great player. But he would have had a problem next year. Every time that he didn't play Gerrard and the team weren't doing particularly well, the crowd would be singing for Gerrard. When he, it, it's, it's always the same. And I said about three years ago that the best thing that will happen, Liverpool will be a better club when Steven Gerrard and Jamie Carragher leave. Moving on from Gerard to, uh, to to Lampard, I think we should debate whether the two could play together uh, for England. Uh, no, Lampard's going to stick around another six months. This has caused there's been a fair amount of anger in in the U.S. Uh, New York City FC hasn't even started yet, but they already have fan groups. They've sold eleven thousand season tickets, and I, I find this. I, I did a bit of digging into this. I, I find this whole thing absolutely bizarre. I, like everybody. I thought that he had signed for New York City FC mm. and that he was on loan at Manchester City. We find out that that's not actually the case. He actually signed for Manchester City. He did sign for New York City FC, but 
for 2015 and 2016, which doesn't really make any sense to me. This whole thing's been handled pretty cack-handedly, Dicko. Why couldn't they just do what we thought they did and just have him sign for New York City FC and loan him to, 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 to Manchester? I don't know. I mean, the, the reasons for the sort of contractual, as you say, complications, yeah, I, I don't think have been well handled at all. I mean, I do think, I think it's not, you know, as soon as, it, as soon as the debate flared some months ago, I think it's pretty naive of anyone in America to think there was going to be any other outcome, to be honest. Uh, I mean, the fact is, probably we would prefer all our clubs to be sovereign clubs in their own right, to, you know, to be self-contained businesses. But the fact is, New York City FC is very, very, very much a junior partner of Manchester City. It is, a, you know, it is, it is their business. It's, it's owned by them. It's, it's part of their global ambitions and so the fact is that anything that happens um, will be for the good of the, the mothership Manchester City so the, 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 the minute this became a discussion some months back when Lampard started playing well and it became clear that he was going to be far more valuable to them than any of us could probably expect it was obvious that he was probably going to end up staying at Manchester City for the season and I say it's, it's naive of As you're listening to me Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If anyone at the same time had I bought my season ticket on the basis of seeing Lampard and got myself a NYCFC shirt with Lampard on the back, I'd be feeling pretty, um, pretty screwed. I think City have done what the, what was inevitable in you know in the end of this debate, and now they've just got to do what they can to to make nice with um, with anyone in New York and to to uh, you know I don't know to offer any little sweeteners that they can. But uh, the fact is, New York, they should you know the fact this will happen again as well. I mean, if there's a promising kid that's loaned, which, you know, which again will happen because this is part of the point of the business. There there will be a promising kid who is loaned by City to New York. City will suddenly be short of, uh, will suddenly need him, and they will yank him back. I mean, that's that's going to happen because that's the nature of the setup that's been established. Well, the, the I mean, once the window closes, they couldn't yank him back. Well, from, you know what I mean. If, yeah, if no, no, of there, course, there will be a circumstance um, in which it is better for City to, to, to do something and 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 less good for New York. I mean, that, that I, I can't believe that that will not happen at some stage in the next x x months years. That. Um, yeah, it, it will be for the good of Manchester City. Having spent more time than I think is healthy reading and talking to people about this, I think I know a little bit about financial fair play. This is not a financial fair play dodge. Certainly Lampard is not. Could there be some future when New York City FC buy Cristiano Ronaldo for 200 bazillion and then loan him to to, to City for nothing? Uh, yeah, possibly. Uh, although even then, you know, UEFA have benchmarks and mechanisms in, in, in space in place to, to assess this at fair market value. It's a B team. It's a slight B team dodge though, isn't it? You what know, you the mean? fact is the city city would love to own a a club in the northwest, a, a lower league club, back to Greg Dyke's B teams, they can't, so this is a way of doing it. Despite the guy having more money than God, they don't even have a plan to they haven't put in a planning application for for a stadium. So they're gonna be they're going to be sharing Yankee Stadium. And you think, great, Yankee Stadium, how oh, iconic. But it, they play so many home games at the Yankee Stadium. It takes three days for it to change from a, 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 a read your article, you see. No, just, 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 just imagine this. The, the, the Yankee Stadium, they play on grass. 
right? They need to relay it. It takes three days to change it. The MLS season runs from April to November, which is the same as the uh, Major League Baseball season. The Yankees play 81 home games. Now, you do the math. The, the margins are absolutely wafer thin. On top of that, uh, if you've been to see a football match at Yankee Stadium, like, like I have, obviously a baseball diamond has a very different shape. Uh, the capacity is reduced to 33,000. Most of the seats are, are weird and wonky. You see things at a weird ankle because it's not made for football. I can imagine how long it's going to take for baseball players to start blaming like the, 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 the football players for the, the, the bad turf and, and whatever else. It, it just seems like so, so absolutely just such, such a bizarre plan. When you when you consider that you know there's two other professional teams in in New York City already, um, I don't know. It just seems maybe it is what what, what you said. It just seems like that's something they haven't thought through. But like you say, uh, they've got so much money. Do you think they're really that bothered about it? Well, I think this is the issue, right? They have so much money that he thought, oh, I can come in and yeah. choose a plot of land, buy it, and I'll build my stadium wherever I like. But the problem is when it comes to bureaucracy. And, you know, New York City is diabolical. You can't just buy a plot of land and, and build a stadium wherever you like. It, you can't it, just give people money and they do. I mean, with all due respect to, to, to Manchester, especially that part of Manchester, you know, which was blighted and, and whatever. And he came in and said, hey, I'm going to give you loads of money to all these regeneration projects. And they said, uh, yeah, you want us to jump? You know, tell us how high. And, and, and he did that. He did a lot of good for Manchester. But even New with York the academy, City isn't, isn't Manchester. But even with the academy, the millions they've spent. It's only good if there's a final outcome. It's only good if you're actually going to play these kids. Several managerial changes uh, since we last spoke. Uh, I'm going to start at the team without a manager right now, uh, Newcastle, and Alan Pardew leaving. Um, Dicko, he's a close personal friend of yours. I'm just going to ask you, why did he leave? Uh, I think he's left because he probably wants to enjoy enjoy the journey to work more. And I think he, I think he thinks he'll probably do that back at Palace. I think he gets back to London. I think he gets back to a club where he's has an instant uh, goodwill working under Mike Ashley um, grinds you down. And um, I thought they were mates, though. Well, the, they, they've certainly shared times in bars and casinos, I'm sure, but I think um, it was becoming not a place that he was say, particularly enjoying going to work, whether that's because of partly because of, of the fans um, having a big downer on him. I think that's partly the fact of... of um, Probably, I mean, I'm not sure he's going to have complete control at uh, a Crystal Palace either, given the you know, given the, the issues that um, Poulis has previously previously had with 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 Steve Parrish there. But I just think, um, I, I think, I think sometimes someone just say they they want to uh, look forward to going to work more, and I think well, he, he probably sees more more satisfaction. There. Alan Pardew had the same goodwill when he went to Charlton. He swapped positions with Alan Kerbishley a few years ago. They went one went to from Charlton to West Ham, the other one went, went from West Ham to Charlton, and they played each other fairly soon after that swap. And Alan Pardew won the game four nil at uh, Charlton. Charlton hardly won a game after that and were relegated uh, after the fanfare that Alan Pardew was going to save and he was going to get them halfway up the table. So Crystal Palace might have to be slightly aware of what's going on. You don't really rate Alan Pardew very highly, do you? Uh, I think he's meant to be quite a good coach. Uh, I think it's more about him than it is about anything else. He's got a massive ego by the looks of it. Um, and I don't like his antics on the side of the field. And, I, and I'm not sure uh, that once you go past that, 
what's left there. People say he's, a, he's an OK coach. They don't say he's a brilliant coach. They say it's a lot about him rather than the club. James, you, you, you played for Palace. Yeah. Um, so in the manner of Sky Sports News, I'm going to assume that you know everything about Palace right now and that you have an opinion on any... A new Bulgarian third division player they're just about to sign and how he fits into well, the I got team. told they might sign Scott Sinclair in the next few days. Who's not a Bulgarian third division no, player? No, but that's a little bit of an insight whether they do or not I don't know. I think they've got a very good manager if you look at his record and listen every manager will have a blip somewhere unless you're Jose Mourinho or Mr Ferguson I think he's he's done a good job at wherever he's gone. I've spoken to players that have played under him before um, like Stuart says he's a good coach some people say he's an exceptional coach I haven't actually seen him work Crystal Palace had a very, very good manager under Tony Pulis last year, and I think they've got a very good manager now under Alan Pardew that will will keep them in the division. Really, you're you're, you're that high on. They've got probably a better squad than than people realise. You know, defensively they're they're very, very strong. They just need a centre forward and to start scoring goals, which hopefully they're, certainly they're in wide areas are a good side in wide. Yeah, areas. they are. Yeah, it's just, it's just to finish the the final, um, which is massive in football, like we all know. But you know, defensively, the way Tony Pulis has set them up, they've still got that mark really. You know, Viedenak who sits in front of the back four and they're very hard to break down and then they're a counter-attacking team. Because it's all about musical chairs, uh, the guy who used to manage Crystal Palace, Mr. Anthony Pulis, is now at, at West Brom, replacing Alan Irvine, who kind of feel like we never really got to know. What's your take, Dicko? I mean, I, th- I think it makes sense. I think Alan uh, Irvine is a classic of West Brom-like, shall we say, malleable coaches. And I think, um, I think Alan Irvine has got... The reputation as a decent coach, but I think it was a classic sort of case of of bumping up someone from a number two position. I, d- I don't think it was ever going to be easy. West Brom always going to like to be in a relegation fight, and I, I think it was the sort of question of when the inevitable happened in, ter- in terms of Alan Irving being squeezed out. And I think what with what Pulis did at, at Crystal Palace last season is a fairly obvious place to turn. I mean, I think he's got not necessarily got an easy job, and the Berahino situation is clearly unsettled. Yeah, can you can you talk a little more about Berahino, what the situation is? Well, I, I wish I... I Without, uh, I know we're meant to know everything, but I, I, I do generally wish I knew more on this, because, I mean, he's clearly unsettled in the way prattling about not celebrating his goals the other day it seems sort of some sort of slightly petulant way of show, you know, sh- showing his, um, his uh, unease. He's clearly been watched by an awful lot of clubs and is eyeing a, uh, a move up up the division. But um, so I mean that's Pudis's first first issue because they do need any team that's going to get out of relegation trouble needs needs reliable goal scorers and Sessegnon can cause damage. But I think there will be crackers at this stage in the season to be selling Berahino unless they've got a very a very good plan B lined up. I am highly skeptical about Pulis at West Brom for the same reasons I was highly skeptical. Some of the same reasons I was highly skeptical for him at, at Palace, although obviously. Well, I- worked out historically he's not been the best at dealing with with younger players he generally prefers hard-working uh veterans palace had a lot of young players who didn't exactly shine under him uh and at west brom you've got players like Berahino, who is precisely that he's a young player he's one of the club's biggest you know, i think uh, i think you'll get rid of him like a shot i just don't think he'll he'll stick with well him you know what if, 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 if i'm west brom and I have a guy who comes in and says, ooh, I don't like him, let him go, Then, and you end up selling him for less than what his market value is, I don't know that that's a great way to get it to, to, well, to get started. You, there's two ways to look at it. You keep him, or we'll sell him for 20, 25 million, but we'll stay in the Premier League, which is 120 million. So, Well, if you keep him and he does well and you're able to sell him for 25 million then, and you make him work and you keep him happy till the end of the season and then you let him go some for a lot of money, odds are you'll stay up. 
I mean, you're saying that they're just better off Stur- without Stur- him. Stuart will t- hopefully he'll back me up. If you've got, and I, I don't know Berahini, I don't know his character at all, but if you've got a bad egg in your team who's maybe bringing everyone down, what do you do? You get rid of him, but do you know he's a bad egg? That's no, I the don't, pro- that's, I don't. That's the so, problem. Uh, so, so you know, if no, he I is... I don't want to say that, but... I mean, you, what you, if you've got somebody that... Uh, that you spend all your time having to manage it takes away from what you actually want to do out on the training field and you end up having to spend more time with him than you do the other players the players that you actually want in your side so a a bad character you always get when you're looking at players to buy you look at their technical quality you look at their uh, athleticism you look at their tactical understanding you look at their character there was always if they had one of those things that they or they didn't have one of those things the one thing you would never sign them on is if they had a bad character you, you, the other guy you mentioned there, Stefan Sessegnon, right? This is a guy who early in his career in France and initially at Sunderland had a reputation as being, you know, a guy who was who was out of control, a guy with a chip on his shoulder, a guy with major disciplinary issues, incredibly skillful. He's kind of been in the straight and narrow for, for, I'd say, probably the last year and a half, two years, and it's a credit to him, maybe just getting older. But again, also, well, Brendan, I mean, this, as in, I mean, obviously Liverpool's one of the clubs he's been linked with, but um, Brendan uh, Rodgers sort of prides himself on... Um, uh, trying to or being able to um, to sort of remould characters as well as um, improve footballers, but then um, obviously um, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't be bringing Berahino in unless you've got a plan to um, get Balotelli out as well. I wouldn't imagine. So it's um, yes. I'd, well, whether whether he could be um, uh, how, how he's going to quite uh, square all that off um, would be interesting. Is Sessegnon? If, if it was Liverpool that made was that. Tony, Tony Pulis last year at Crystal Palace took some 26 points in 18-19 games his record was phenomenal the top goal scorer he did it with Cameron Jerome I think he scored two goals who Shemak, is a Pulis type? Marion Shamaku scored four or five and don't quote me on it but it's very he did it without really any goal scorers in the team whatsoever right, he got so the best out of Shamak Shamak yeah, played did, well yeah. for Tony Pulis yeah very very, very well. well and he was one of these that you you could always see he had ability but mm. nobody really got it out you know what really was it and you know he turned him round Jason Punchin, he got the best out yeah. of Jason Punchin, who's a, meant to be a, a fairly difficult character. He certainly was when he was a youngster at Wimbledon. West Brom to stay up? All day long. Yes, they've got good enough players. Dicko? Uh, yeah, probably, I think. We talk about Newcastle briefly. We touched upon it before. I just want to go first full circle back. What I find bizarre, and unfortunately George Culkin can't be with us today, normally you get a whole bunch of names linked to the, to, to the vacancy. Apart from Thomas Tuchel, who seemed really way out of left field, although it would be fascinating to see him work in the Premier League. Did you have any insight on who the so-called runners and riders might be? Well, I think Steve, Steve McLaren would be one. I mean, this shows, shows the, the sort of, um, illustrates the, the predicament of Newcastle quite well, doesn't it? I mean, I think uh, McLaren, he was actually offered the job some years back when um, the lovely Freddie um, Fletcher was running the, um, Freddie Shepherd, sorry, was running the, uh, the club. But uh, I think he's Sort of prominent in their thoughts, but to be honest, if you were him, uh, he's at Derby. He's got good relations there with the hierarchy. You sort of again, they talk about sort of just enjoying your work day to day. Well, I know he gets on very well with the the uh, uh, chief executive there, Sam Rush. Sam Rush, exactly. And, Sam and Rush, is, you know, he's got, he's got a nice situation in place. Good training, you know, just is enjoying the project, so to speak. I mean, I think the Steve McLaren of a few years back probably. Would look at it and just think, oh, it's, a, it's too big to turn down. But actually, I think now the Steve McLaren have now a bit more, shall we say, settled and a bit more sort of, I don't know, you know, sort of foot on the ball in terms of planning his career. Would actually probably think, well, you know what, I'm on a good thing here at Derby. Maybe I should see it through. I mean, I, I do wonder whether Newcastle might try and sort of bumble through. I mean, the fact is they're not going to go down. 
it wouldn't necessarily be sort of too unexpected if they try and just say bumble through for I mean it's a long time between now and May but um, try and get through and, and, and look at a far probably what's like to be a far broader selection pool and um, in, in the summer than it is now Right, time now for everybody's favorite part of the show, Quick Hits. This is the section where we're all extremely disciplined and we limit our answers to 20 stroke, 25 seconds. Chelsea's B team are held by Watford until Jose Mourinho chucks on the cavalry in the form of Diego Costa and Willian, and they go on to win 3-0. Uh, James, he's hardly rotated this season. Is he paying a price for this in the sense that when he does call upon the reserves, they totally lack chemistry? Um, possibly. I think when you play a lot of the reserves together, um, sometimes a latch match fitness, um, probably a little bit of confidence really. So it's very hard when you, I'm sure Stuart will, will agree, it's very hard to play a team that's not really in the groove every week and playing regular, but... Listen, they've won the game 3-0, haven't they? So it's hardly a uh, crisis. Tottenham play tonight, but four days ago they put five past Chelsea, which is rather remarkable. Dicko, is it all Kane-driven, or do you think this team is finally coming together? Uh, we probably shouldn't base too much on one freakish result, but uh, yeah, I think there is a trend where Spurs are starting to come together. I think Eriksen looks like a player, but I think probably more um, in some ways soothingly if I was a Spurs fan it's actually seeing a bit of life back now in someone like Vertonghen who I think I thought a couple of seasons ago was excellent um, seemed to lose his way completely maybe Spurs are getting a little bit more confidence Sloppy, jaded and low on inspiration that's how Oli Kay described United at Yeovil despite their 2-0 win Stuart, do you agree? And is it just because it's actually hard for a top club to pay, play against a bunch of lower division guys with nothing to lose? Yeah, I slightly agree, but also give credit to Gary Johnson, who got his tactics absolutely right to stop Manchester United playing. The two wide centre-halves, when you're playing with three at the back, need to be good on the ball. And I don't think McNair did particularly well on the ball. I don't think on the left-hand side, uh, the, the left-hand centre-half didn't do particularly well. And Falcao and Wilson didn't combine up front, and that was a massive problem. If you're playing two up front, they have to play well, and they didn't play well. Manuel Pellegrini says his team played, quote, very, very badly against Sheffield Wednesday before, like Chelsea, sending on the big guns and squeaking through 2-1. Uh, but there's nothing really for them to worry about, right, James? Not really. They've obviously got injuries, haven't they, at the moment that they need to get back fit. Um, you know, they've had this sort of habit. I know Man City are doing well and they've really caught up with Chelsea, but if you actually look at it, was it two goals up against Burnley? They threw that away, um, similar against Sunderland, but they came back. Just maybe not quite firing on all cylinders uh, at the moment. Are, are they bigger than United right now, would you say? No. Okay, just checking. Dave Whelan was slapped with a six-game ban and a £50,000 fine for his enlightened comments about Jews and Chinese people. Dicko, what does this punishment actually mean? He's banned from football-related activities. Are they going to chaperone him? Well, no, the, 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 well the, the, the 50K fine obviously means nothing to a millionaire, and the ban means pretty much naffle too. I mean, he'll, he'll sit on the beach, uh, you know, unless someone's guarding him, um, removing the mobile phone from, from him, um, uh, stopping him speaking to anyone, then it, 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 it means naffle. And the fact is that they've let him off the hook. Um, they've allowed, he's sort of wriggled off the hook with the semantics that he was going to resign if found guilty of racism. Well, that, you know, the panel was never going to find him guilty of being a racist, rather. Um, equally, I'm baffled by they said he's definitely not a racist. I, I don't know quite how this panel managed to come to this um, sweeping conclusion. Um, uh, all a mess. I've said it before, but I think it bears saying again, this whole idea of racist versus racism is something that people need to get through their thick skulls. A 
panel cannot definitively establish whether somebody is a racist. They can, however, definitively... Or is not a racist. Or is not a racist. But they can definitively establish whether, uh, whether the person has done or said racist things. It's, it's pretty clear. Punish behavior. Don't try to, to read minds and make it all about that. Arsenal overcome Hull in a repeat of last season's FA Cup final, and Alexis Sanchez steals the show. Stuart, I'm not going to ask you to find fault with Wenger this time, but rather tell me how far back you have to go to find an Arsenal player as good as Alexis Sanchez. I think you have to go back maybe to Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Robert Pires. They were the three players that were exceptional for Arsenal in front You're areas. Skipping the Cesc Fabregas era. I'm uh, skipping the Cesc Fabregas era because I think at some point he played for himself rather than the team near the end of his career. At the moment, Alexis Sanchez is playing with pace, he's playing with purpose, he's creative, and he's also a good team player as well. He's working hard. He's, he's showing the right example of how to work as a front player with closing down as well. Question for you, Gab. Fernando Torres is now at Atletico Madrid. Is this where he revives his career? Yeah, well, uh, after enough uh, false starts, I'm not so sure. He says it's great to finally be home and blah, blah, blah. Well, obviously, everybody knows that if he'd taken a pay cut, he could have gone home many, many years ago. I don't think it's actually that great a situation for him in the sense that expectations are going to be high because, the you know, he's, he's El Nino's back. But the reality is... They have Mario Mandzukic, who's a perfect fit for, for Diego Simeone. They have Antoine Griezmann, who they thought was, a, was just a sort of a little lightweight winger, uh, but he's turned into a monster with all these headed goals and he's scoring regularly and pl- doing well up front. They have Raul Jimenez, who they paid a lot of money for and is another big center forward type they like. And they have Raul Garcia, who sort of when they play him off the striker, mm-hmm. um, tends to score a lot of goals with his head. So I don't think it's going to be that straightforward for, for Torres, and uh, I don't think Simeone is going to, Put up with any pressure. Yeah, will he revive his career? Yes or no? Uh, no. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes and Player FM for Android, please do so now. Many thanks to my guests today, James Scowcroft, Stuart Robson, and, of course, Matt Dickinson. You can check out thetimes.co.uk on your digital device. Members will get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. And if you're not a member yet, take our one-pound digital trial today. Just search Time Sport online. See you same place, same time next week. Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 